Welcome to the HR Think Tank, a podcast that uncovers the power a trusted workforce has on team performance, culture, and morale. We gather insights from experts, business leaders, and HR professionals to help you lead your team. Here's your host, Kai no, CEO and co-founder of Verify Now. The journey to leadership is unique for each person. Our family background, education, and life experiences impact how we see the world. On this episode, we chat about the role of authentic leadership in creating a culture of innovation. Our guest today is AJ Bhatia, Managing Director of Car Sales Australia, an ASX 100 company. If you've ever purchased a car, you'll likely know about carsales.com limited, as they're the largest online automotive, motorcycle, and marine classifieds business in Australia. AJ has almost 20 years of executive leadership experience. During this time, he's held several technical and commercial leadership positions, ranging from GM commercial, product director, and technology director to CIO. In 2015, AJ was awarded the Australian CIO of the Year by CEO Magazine Limited. And as our very last episode for 2021, we're so lucky to have him here with us today. Welcome to the show, AJ. Thank you, Kai. Glad to be here. Uh, okay, so AJ, it's you know it's it's been awesome to get you on the show. We've been looking forward to this podcast episode for a little while. You know, you've got an amazing background. Uh, you've got an awesome story, and I'm hoping that you can share some of that with us uh, on today's episode. So, uh, first thing is, you know, you came to Australia here in the 1990s to study. Uh, I'm hoping we can hear a little bit about your origin story, but can you also tell us about why you chose Australia as your study destination? Yeah, no, thanks, Kai. Um, I came to Australia in December of 1992, and I guess the story was really, I was a little bit lucky, uh, didn't come here just as a student. My mum and dad um, got permanent residence. Uh, they were part of skilled migration scheme. Australia needed teachers, math teachers in particular, and my mum was a math teacher, so came along here um, with my mum and sister. My dad sort of followed a little bit later. He had this fascination with uh, laid-back lifestyle and what Australia offered and so on. Um, and so I didn't really make the decision. He made the decision. That was the reason we, we came here. And, uh, you know, upon arriving here, um, you know, I, I, I did year 11 and year 12 here in, in, um, in one year uh, from, a, from a tech uh, not from a school, regular school, because a tech was where you could do it in in one year. Um, so I did it in, in in one year. I'd done some of it um, already in India, but I had to repeat some of it because it's just what you do when you're a migrant. You come here, and you get into the system. So I did all of that, and um, you know, I, I remember I used to live in a place called Ashfield in Sydney, and the tech that I studied at was Dover Heights. Um, and I didn't have a car, so it was a train from Ashfield to Central, then a train from Central to Bondi Junction, then a bus from Bondi Junction to Dover Heights. And in one and a half hours, I used to eventually get there um, for uh, trying to do two years in one year. Uh, the classes were from nine to nine, but it meant that I left home at 7.30 and got home at 10.30. Uh, I think they gave us... Uh, a bit of a break on a Friday where we finished at five and, and then on Saturdays I worked in Pizza Hut. So, you know, that, that was my first year in, in Australia, but it was good that it started with so much of hard work that, um, mm. it just, you know, everything 
um, seemed easy afterwards. Yeah, and clearly you were committed enough to your study because, you know, for some people traveling an hour and a half to do anything is, is a big ask, let alone do that and then study for the whole day and then come back. So, AJ, how, how has, you know, your experience, your migrant experience impacted how you approach entrepreneurship and leadership? I mean, my migrant experience firstly started with just, uh, you know, you are given what you're given, you're dealt a hand when, when, when you're born in terms of how intelligent or not intelligent you are, whether it's your IQ or EQ or anything. And yes, you can do a few things to improve it, but that's your hand, right? Um, the, the things that you can do about it in terms of input is, is hard work. And, um, a lot of the migrants, when they come here, similar to my story, is just, you don't come here in very privileged circumstances or you don't start in very privileged circumstances, which means you, you do things that you wouldn't have done, um, in the home country that you came from. But now you're here, you feel obliged to work harder than everyone else. And you feel like I knew I would have had to ha- work harder than everyone else. I, that was my premise. And I think I did do that. I mean, I did very long days. So. Um, hard work's probably one of those things that I learned. The other thing that I learned was persistence. Um, if I believe in something, I persist. And the persistence genuinely has paid off for me throughout my life. Hard work and persistence are probably two things. So I wanted to talk about your career and particularly the early stages of your career. You know, you've worked for some well-known brands and, and you're currently the managing director of Car Sales Australia. But can you talk us through some of the earlier challenges or some of the key challenges you faced in the early parts of your career? And, and how, how did you overcome that? Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, a few th- very interesting things, right? So, one, one of the things was choice of university once I passed the school, school part of it. And pretty much UTS ticked the box for me because UTS had the, what they used to call the sandwich course. Um, wasn't really sandwich making skills, t- taking me back to Pizza Hut, but it was more about, um, work and, um, and study sandwich together. So my first year was full-time study at UTS. Um, it was pretty standard uni life type stuff is how it started, you know, playing pool, um, and all of that sort of stuff down in the basement of UTS main Broadway building. Um, and, trying to study as well while you're doing all of those things and getting a bit distracted as well. Um, but, but then yeah. over time, um, I met some of, um, really interesting friends and we all started to go, well, let's, you know, there's computer networking happening all around us. Um, and computer networking, I think this was in 1994, um, computer networking was starting to become um, the, the thing and it was, um, and all of the offices wanted computer networks and so on and on and on. So one of the guys said, I know how to do computer networking. Let's form a company and go and find some business and let's do that. So we all joined together, four of us, and we started a company called iSystems. My first year earnings were $44,000. I still remember it. Um, and that was on the back of iSystems. I think we each earned 44 each. And that was just the, the profit of the company. And, um, you know, I, I did some software writing for some business and so on. So that was the start of thinking in a more entrepreneurial sense for me, right, right at the start of university. And then I discovered, uh, from the second, second year, um, I got an internship in Telstra, 
um, in uh, in their Paramount office writing some software for the rollout of SMS into Australia. Um, and SMS was being rolled out into Australia back then. Um, so I was writing some supporting software to roll that out. Um, and um, it was really interesting. Um, we used to go into this room where, you know, all the mobile um probably lots of radiation was there too. Um, I used to go in there and I used to feel a bit weird. I don't know why, but I used to feel a bit weird in that room. And, um, and, uh, but it was a fascinating room f- filled with really fascinating engineering devices and stuff that Telstra had imported from the US that was cutting edge. So it was quite a privilege to work on it. And that sort of got me hooked onto this thing is really interesting. I actually maybe want to do work full-time rather than study full-time. And then down the line, I decided very quickly to start um, full-time work and I made my study part-time. And when I graduated from university, I had, I don't know, I can't remember exactly, but maybe five years experience. Um, it took me longer to graduate from university as a result, but I had five years experience and, and that became my experience when I did lots of jobs here and there. It was a bit of, you know, this company and then that company and all of that sort of stuff. But that was my software development career. AJ, how did you, I guess, uh, I guess I'm trying to explore is that, that the breakthrough moment from sort of more junior frontline entry roles, how did you then propel yourself to the executive management level? Yeah, so one of the jobs that I did alongside UTS um, was working at Railway Infrastructure Corporation and um, I was software. I was doing some software for them, some programming for them, um, trying to bring their sort of old systems into the web. And then I, I was a contractor there and, and the, the manager there sort of encouraged me to do a little bit of project management on the side as well. So I just started doing a little bit of that. Then I realized uh, after my student life um, that uh, I needed a full-time job um, rather than this chop and change. So I went to a company called Aspect Computing um, and I stayed there for eventually for five years. Um, For a while, I was a Microsoft certified trainer. I used to train other people how to program. Um, and for a while, they also used to put me on consulting gigs, sort of send me out to companies where I do work for the companies. So I did a mix of um, training, a mix of software development, mix of project management. And then eventually I got sick of being contracted out and not building a team. And I, I, some, something inside me missed the continuity of a team. And that's when I... I went to Fairfax Digital, where I eventually spent five years. Yep. And that was my first management job. I started there as a technology manager um, for drive.com.au, like a division of Fairfax Digital. Very quickly then, I think was within a year of me being there, the product director there left um, to somewhere else. And my manager, who was the general manager of that division, I asked the manager and I said, his name was Michael. I said, Michael, why don't you just give me a go? Let me do the project product management as well as the technology management rather than, and if I don't work out, then you can just 
hire someone else. And by the way, don't pay, don't yeah. pay me anything extra. I'm not after money. Just, just want to, you know, contribute with product development. So I sort of made mm-hmm. it a no brainer for him and, and he, yeah, he yeah. took a risk on me. And that's, by the way, one of my lessons is, is you should make it a no brainer with when the opportunity arises and not focus on the short term. Mm. Cause eventually, mm. you know, if you focus on give me a pay rise, this, that eventually your market rate is your market rate. It always realigns. You don't even have to ask for it. Yeah. Um, it, if you don't ask for it, there is usually a delay, but it obviously aligns still. Right. Mm. So I, I got that opportunity. Then they just continued with me in that sense of product and tech. Then I got an opportunity within the business to the, uh, Fairfax owned a business called Country Cars. And they said, this business is not doing what we expected it to do. We need someone to fix it. I put my hand up again. I said, well, how about you give me yeah. a chance? And I spent a bit of time in Orange, which is west of Sydney, past the Blue Mountains. Uh, I spent a bit of time there, turned that business out from a loss to a profit. And that was my first commercial role. Um, then um, the next time the opportunity came, we said, we need someone to champion uh, what what is known as display sales for that business. I said, why don't you try me? Um, so I did that for a year and my first budget, there was $7 million of sales. My budget was uh, six and a half. So I beat it by half a million dollars, but it was, it was small, but it, so, so I ended up with this general management experience of country cars, product management experience, technology management experience, yeah. sales management experience. And then you can yeah. understand that in that five years, I wasn't just technology. I was sales. I was, I was product, I was uh, technology, I was the whole lot, right? And and G- yeah, GM yeah. too. So that meant that I, I started to experience all the leadership challenges that everyone experienced and started to question myself on how do I work through this and how do I work through that? And and that requires then, you know, some of it is mentoring, some of that is um, learning through books, some of that is courses. So a combination of all of those things was done. Um, and the next part of my journey is partly entrepreneurial, partly co- corporate, but I start, um, decided to join a startup called Car Sales. Back then it was a startup. Yeah. So, yep. you know, Greg Robick was the founder of the business. There were a lot of executives there, but it was pre-listing and um, Greg wanted to list the business and he wanted to strengthen the executive team before he listed the business. Um, so I came in as part of that. Um, I became the CIO of the company. The company was fairly yeah. small back then um, compared to what it is today. Um, so, you know, I sort of call it, you know, it was a couple of a couple of hundred million dollars worth and now it's worth seven and a half billion dollars. So um, it's that's been a really good journey. And over the last 12 years in car sales, again, I've had probably four different jobs. So I've changed jobs every three years. Let, let me ask you, AJ. So, uh, uh, you know, just in terms of the advice that you're offering to people who are, you know, emerging leaders or at the cusp of executive management, you know, two things really stood out to me. You said, you know, make it a no-brainer, make it easy for your manager or leader, whoever it is, to accept the offer that you're making. It's not always about money. And the second part is to think really long-term. You know, like some of these roles that you had put your hand up towards, it was more about the experience. You weren't putting your hand up because of any, you know, uh, you're going to give me a pay rise of X. It was more around the experience and, you know, putting on different hats. And that's led you to the, the exec role that you have now, you know, where, where you're, you've got a view of all of these different things and you understand how it works and how it interrelates because you've had that 
I guess, on the ground experience with these things. Um, talk to me about the level of self-belief or self-confidence needed to propel yourself into these executive leadership roles. Because, you know, I'm just listening to your journey and, and you know, you start off uh, working at Pizza Hut and you're at, at uni and you really put in the hours. Like, what's the level of self-confidence you need to say, hey, I'm, I'm willing to give this a shot? Come on, give yeah, me a shot. Yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's a couple of things, right? I mean, there's there's always a little bit of luck, but, you know, luck is a variable you can't control. The variable you can control is hard work and persistence, which is in my case been been the the couple the two things that that have worked in my favor but um but there's you do need a bit of inspiration too right because without inspiration you know that pulling off the hard work and pulling off the persistence pretty hard too um so so you know in my journey the couple of people who've been really instrumental is um very early um in in uh, in school and stuff my mum was very hands-on involved with with what I did at school and how I did it, et cetera. So, you know, she always had high expectations of me and that sort of meant that I wanted to fulfill that and that created a bit of, bit of a need for me. Um, and then when I was, you know, in aspect doing, um, MCT training and, and consulting and so on, I was very satisfied in, I was in reasonable wage. I used to drive a Toyota Celica, beautiful car, uh, nice house, what's the point of changing anything? And then my wife came along and she goes, I think you have more potential than this. And I go, really? She goes, yeah, you, you're wasting your life. You have a lot more potential than this. You've got a, this, 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 and this. And she rattled all this stuff off and I listened to her and that changed my life. So that was, that, that was the one inspirational moment um, built upon mm. what my mom did early, but then what my wife said uh, at the time. Uh, and she was pretty persistent with what he, what she said as well. Um, and then um, from there on um, for me, it, it became, yes, look, partly I've not always known exactly where I want to get to, but I've known my next step. And then as I became more mature, I actually knew my eventual step as well. No, I wouldn't say there's nothing eventual, by the way. Um, I, I mean, I knew three steps from where I was rather than the one step from where I was, right? Um, and I'm never satisfied in a job by being boxed into something that just doesn't give me job satisfaction. So I've always wanted to learn different areas of uh, business, whether it's sales, whether it's product, whether it's technology, whether it's just general management. One of the lessons for mm -hmm. me has always been operate one level higher than where you are, um, which basically means, Kai, if you are my boss, um, I want to see the world the way you see the world um, and then make decisions in your shoes as, as, my, right. as my manager and say, um, what would Kai do? That's the question I'd ask myself every time, right? Mm. What would, uh, what would he do? Um, would he in this, this moment of time, um, performance manage this person or would this moment of time he would not? Or would he think of this strategy? Um, because mm. how, say if I was a technology manager and you were my general manager, you are also thinking of sales, not just technology. So if I elevate myself to your level, I go, I'm, I'm now st stopping to think about the architecture that I'm writing in, in, um, in technology, but I'm also thinking about how you're going to sell it. 
and but you're also thinking about how you're going to market it and all of that. So if I'm thinking at your level, your job, I've made your job really easy and you are now relating to me as your direct report really, really well. Yeah. And it gives me confidence too yeah. that, you know, hey, if I ever leave, AJ can absolutely do this job because you, you, you've already started training for it before you even need oh, for to sure. train for I it. I mean, you've got to watch not stepping on people's toes while you do that as well yeah. because people get very worried. Okay. Um, so, so the, and it requires a fine balance and my balance was very worse before and got better as, as I matured. Um, but yeah. uh, reality is thinking a level up has, has been a really real key in terms of my career development. But you've, you've talked about, you know, curiosity and, and, you know, pursuing interest in other areas, not only immediately in your area, uh, you've invested in your education and over time, you know, you've got a bachelor and a master's in engineering from UTS. You're an alum, alumnus at Harvard Business School and interestingly, an honorary adjunct professor at the UTS Business School. What do you see are the values of learning and education for people and business leaders? I think it's immense. Um, you know, a lot of people say this and I'm going to repeat it. It's not a very original statement, but I believe in it. Um, you go to university to learn how to learn. Um, and that's what university teaches you. And that's what it taught me in terms of when you, when you get into work life, um, learning on the job is really important. Um, learning from your peers is really important. Learning from senior, um, your senior, um, people is really important. So I still learn a lot um, from everyone. As an example, I mean, I, I've got a number of direct reports and I could tell you something that I've learned from each one of them. Each one of them is, is an individual and they bring something that, to the table that I do not bring. And I observe them and I go, that's really interesting. And I don't do that. And they do it. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, you've got to be a sponge, because if you limit your opportunities to just learning through courses and stuff like that, I think you will um, um, you will not do a good job because, unfortunately, you might do one or two weeks a year when once you're in workplace of courses, but you're going to do three hundred and well sixty five days or maybe not that maybe 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 forty seven weeks forty eight weeks right uh, of yeah. of work and that's a lot of work. One other thing is leadership is not just about work. Leadership is hmm. at work, but also at home and also in the community. Hmm. So if you think you can go home and stop your leadership, or if you go to the community, you can stop it. That's not how leadership works. Not in my definition anyway. So leadership is also about how, what you do, how you behave, what your ethics are, what your, what you stand for. So I want to switch the topic into um, people management and recruitment now. And uh, sorry to do this to you, AJ, but I want to bring back a few uh, past articles that you've brought up because I, I think they're still very much relevant today. And, and the one that I'm referring to is this uh, 2016 article that you had written around, um, you know, hiring for potential uh, or, or obsession. I, I'd like to understand what your view is on this particular topic, you know, uh, hiring for potential versus hiring for track record. Um, what's, what's worked for you? You know, um, it's, it's even more topical at the moment because it's a, it's a talent starved market. Um, and it's impossible to find great talent at the moment. Um, there's a shortage of talent in Australia and around the world, especially in the tech space. If you only hire for 
past track record in a very niche industry, I think it's a massive miss. Um, you know, people often talk about diversity and this topic relates to diversity. Um, diversity is not just about color of your skin and your gender and, you know, um, other, other types of the way we look at diversity. Uh, diversity is also about simply, um, diversity of thinking and diversity of thinking comes from all of those factors, which include gender and age and number of those things. But diversity also comes from industries that you've worked in. Kodak is a really good example. You know, remember when, when yeah. Kodak made that choice of, um, let's get another, uh, photography person to run Kodak. Um, that was the, the nail in the coffin for them, isn't it? And what they really yeah. needed was yeah. someone who was actually not from their industry to run it, to, to save Kodak, but they actually never did that. And at the moment, the market is very talent starved, but before COVID, when there was, there was a more of a normal, um, people would go, I'm a bank, um, experience banking experience yeah. i'm a digital company yeah. experience digital experience i'm an energy company yeah. experience energy so how are you going to ever change if that's this type so it, it comes to potential then right if you're not if you're going to hire people from different industries and so on who don't necessarily have that track record then what are you hiring for not skill set you're hiring for potential so um, yeah. there's always a mix in your workforce of a level of skill set that you need that because you need to get them up and running quickly. And then there is mm -hmm. um, lots of people who maybe don't have that skill set in the short term, but have a lot of potential to learn that skill set very, very quickly. And perhaps, you know, they say that a good performer outperforms an average performer by 400%. And if you can get that person with that potential to learn in six months and then perform at 400% of an average person, your return is a lot higher. And, and it's very topical at the moment because, you know, obviously with the pandemic, there's been lots of mobility between industries for people. And even in normal times, you know, employers can often be concerned because it seems like a high risk proposition to hire a person who's come outside of the sector. So you're like, oh, well, you know, are they even going to enjoy the sector? And at the same time, it's also, it also feels risky on the candidate's part saying, well, my experience only aligns with this, this column. And now I'm applying for this. Should I even bother? Because if they're just going to reject me anyway, maybe I should just spend my time there. So I think it's it's the two parties yeah. coming in. Uh, what's been your approach at you know um, car sales? Have you have have you looked at people from yeah. outside? You know the industry. I, mean, the, I, I don't know if I gave that example in in my um, article or not because I've forgotten. It's been so long. But um, but one of the um, hires I made. Um, was our CTO came from the energy industry and we're digital. So hiring someone from the energy industry back then was, you know, a bit strange. And every, in fact, the recruiter asked me this question. The recruiter said, so, okay, um, AJ, we're looking for a CTO. Uh, where, where should, should I, uh, fish? Uh, do I go to realestate.com? Do I go to seek? Do I go? And yeah, so yeah. effectively digital industry. And I said, why would you? I mean, what you've, you've basically now told me rather than having a thousand options, I have five options, right? Yeah. Why would you do that to me? Why wouldn't you go with the thousand options? And 
pick the best of the best. So, you know, and that CTO is still here and doing a great job, right? So, so that's the, that's the point. So just going back to a comment you made earlier, you talked about, you know, the McKinsey uh, research or report on the great resignation. And again, uh, sorry to bring back an old article, but it's still very much relevant. And this is from an article you published in IT News. You know, um, there was, there was, you know, the, the article was around how to hire top talent, but there was a particular quote that, that you had mentioned, which is the best way to grow your business is to grow your people. You know, and when we're talking about the great resignation, people talk about job satisfaction, skills shortage. Now, this, this quote that you've given, I mean, what have you found to be effective strategies to support and nurture people in an organization? So that way you can grow your I mean, business. one of the things we do, uh, Kai, is uh, there always needs to be a healthy balance of bringing external talent and promoting internal talent in because you don't always want to just have the internal view. But one of the things we try and do very hard is train our people for the next step in their career. And um, I run this um, quarterly town hall um, and I do it quarterly because, you know, there are too many meetings in our calendars and we don't want to do these things any more frequently in my view than that. But I run this quarterly town hall for Car Sales Australia and we put up um, all the promotions in that town hall. And it is so good to see wow. how many promotions we do every quarter. And I think everyone looks at that and goes, yeah, this is the sort of company I want to work for because this is where I have the opportunity to grow as an individual as uh, and have a career. So it's really good for retention as well. But at the same time, you know, what's to say, again, it comes to potential again, right? What's to say you always have to hire this person that comes from, uh, you know, external and um, you buy this skill set ready to go and you know you've got this person who has great potential. You just need to give them a little bit of training and mentorship and you can get them there. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, growing people is really important. Um, but I do not want to say that you can do everything internally either. There is a balance. And, yes, yeah. you do need to bring external people in as well because that also then grows your internal people, Right brings this yeah. diversity of experience and stops you looking from just inwardly and you look more outwardly. Yeah, because there could be things like you said, you, you know, you haven't considered. They could be a disruptor to your sector because they're applying yeah. things that they've learned in another sector and then that upskills your team as well and to think a little bit more uh, openly, yeah. I guess. Okay, or well, any other tips you've got around, you know, supporting and nurturing your people to to, to, to grow them? Uh, look, I mean, lots and lots. We, we could do hours and hours on, on, on this, right? But um, really staying connected is really important, especially in times of COVID, right? Because we're, we're sitting here, everyone's, everyone's on Zoom. Um, and if you're actually not, and, you know, one person can't stay connected themselves. Everyone's got to, everyone's got to stay connected. Yeah. People will relate more to you if you, if, if they mean something to you, right? Um, one of the, the things I do is um, I used to do this for everyone in the company. I used to have everyone's birthday in my calendar and then wish everyone um, um, a birthday. Um, now the numbers have gone berserk. So, so I have, I have a smaller number of people in my calendar and, and I wish them happy birthday, but it gives me a chance to interact with them, you know, during that time and, and show them that I care, which I genuinely care, um, do care, uh, as well. So I think, you know, everyone uses different techniques to do this. Um, but it's really important as a leader that you are connected, um, and you understand, yeah. um, you know, what's going on 
with people. Carcels do, does this thing called donut catch-ups. And um, during COVID... Tell yeah, me more. Tell me more. Yeah, during this COVID time, um, you know, we want... It's not just about me being connected. It's about people being connected to each other as well. Um, just, yeah. you know, a developer to a product manager or a marketing manager or something, right? Um, so, so uh, effectively the system randomly picks two people, pairs them up and sends them a Slack and says, please get connected. You've been chosen randomly and you do this every fortnight and you just keep going, right? Wow. So that just creates connections in the company. A better connected yeah. company okay. will always be more a more trusting environment for people to thrive. Just very quickly, I just want to ask you this question. You sort of touched on it in other parts, but I do feel like I want to ask it again, which is um, this is mostly for people leaders who want to nurture and develop their team. What type of experiences do you think help create these breakthrough moments, um, in particular leadership moments for people to go from, from this level to this level? What type of experiences do they need? I mean, I, I can only describe it through example. Um, you know, I, I sort of relate to things when there are examples. So, you know, for me, some of the inflection points are, um, you know, there was a 360-degree review done on me 10 years ago. In fact, there's one that's just been done and I'm just uh, in the middle of that now. Um, and I took all of the comments that were given very, very seriously, all of the feedback that, that was given very, very seriously. And um, reality is even 10 years on, I think I've improved some things quite a lot. And there are other things that were only improved by 50%, but not all the way um and I don't believe you can achieve perfection in everything because, you know, you are the person you are and you're never going to be great at certain things. So, you know, one of the things people say about me is I can often get distracted really easily. And, and I, I actually agree with that. And I watch myself um, to not get distracted. But um, it's just innate in my nature to think of 10 things. Um, and and uh, I, I get bored by just thinking of the one. But yeah. I can relate. But, but then, but, but I know that that's a problem and um, I know that that's an issue that I need to fix, right? And I continue to work on it. So I think understanding yourself is really important, making sure there's uh, um, opportunity for people to give you feedback. And if your people trust you, you'll get more feedback. If your people don't trust you, you will not even know that you're an asshole, but you could be a, the biggest asshole in the world. You wouldn't even know that you, because yeah. you know, often um, yeah. people who are narcissists, don't even know that they're narcissists, right? Because they're so full of themselves. If you're not authentic, if you're not humble, uh, you will not have the leadership moments. That's my view. But if you're humble and if you're authentic and then you're put in a position where you have to manage people, you'll have those moments. And then you'll suddenly go, what did I learn from this? And, and, you know, be a sponge, keep learning. You know, other moments for me are just when I've been put in a job and, you know, I just have to swim. Um, and then what do you do? And then there's a lot of things that come up and you, uh, you, you discover your shortcomings, but you're honest to yourself and, um, you work on it. You know, there are times when, um, you know, being a alumni of HBS has really been helpful. Um, they, they give you access to mentoring as well and so on. So, 
there have been times when I've been a bit confused. I've, I've reached out to those mentors and asked them these questions. And it's really good for, to have them in a separate country so there's no conflict. Either don't know anyone who I know and I can be really honest with them and, and ask them a question and ask them to help me out or listen to one of the webinars that HBS is running on a topic that I'm struggling with. You've spoken about, um, you know, confidence to innovate. You know, you've talked about trust uh, in, in terms of leadership and that way your your direct reports or team members and colleagues can give you feedback and the importance that it has, you know, authentic leadership as well. How do you foster trust in a company and what's worked really well in your experience? Uh, look, for, for, for me, um, trust is simply about authenticity. It's, it's, it's not about not pretending to be someone that you're not. Um, and um, I feel that... Um, over a period of time, I've got a lot better at that. And, uh, but partly I feel that if your manager and your leader and your general leadership in the company gives you the space to be more authentic, you end up with a more authentic workforce. It's a leadership thing. And if you don't have authenticity in leadership, you wouldn't have authenticity in the company either. Um, you know, if the leader is always pretending and people are scared about um, you know, X, Y, Z and led by fear, then authenticity mm. gets lost. And I think it feeds directly into people's engagement scores and EOS scores and so on. Um, authentic leaders tend to, in my belief, get, I, I have, I don't have any research on this, but yeah. I tend to believe they would get higher engagement scores because and, you know, we're not bulletproof. We're all human beings. Everyone expects us to be hum human beings. So there is nothing bad in showing our true self and saying, yeah, I'm good at yeah. this and I'm not good at this. And, uh, you know, please help me with this. And even if you're a leader standing in front of the company, acknowledging that is quite good. So I don't know if you saw, there was another article I wrote on vulnerability um, somewhere in there, but um, that. Well, we'll, we'll We'll link that. We'll link that because I think that's part of being an authentic leader is having moments where you you can be vulnerable and people can see that, you know, because like you said, we're all humans. At the end so, of the to me, authenticity is, is the key to building trust. And so, AJ, before we wrap up, uh, we just want to take you through the fast five questions. Yeah. Are you ready for this? Sure. What was your first job? First job was Pizza Hut. What's something interesting that's not on your CV? I ran marathons. <laughs> and and what, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self? I think I wouldn't give any advice. Uh, if anything, I'd say have a bit more fun. What book is a must-read or what movie is a must-watch? Uh, the, the, the book, uh, this is a Tony Shea book called Delivering Happiness. Um, that is, I think, a must-read uh, for any business leader. Um, and movie, uh, The Intern, uh, I really like that movie, um, Robert De Niro. And uh, that sort of uh, really resonated with me around age, diversity, and so on. So, yeah, those two. What's a job for the future that doesn't exist today? Yeah, well, a drone navigator, <laughs> perhaps. All right, well... Yeah. Now we, we've had some wild, uh, ideas on this one. I think, uh, the last one we had was, you know, a, a space agent and that's coming more and more. So 
AJ, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for being our lucky last guest for 2021. Thank you, Kai. Thank you. I appreciate it. Today's guest was AJ Bartia from Car Sales Australia, the leading online marketplace for cars, trucks, motorcycles, and boats. We got insight into AJ's migrant experience and how that has shaped his leadership and entrepreneurship journey. You can connect with AJ via LinkedIn, and if you want to learn more about car sales, you can visit their website. This was our last episode for 2021, as we'll be taking a break until March 2022. I just want to take this moment and thank all of our guests, uh, the Verify Now team, and especially the Social Wave team for helping us produce this podcast series. If you've enjoyed season one of the HR Think Tank, we'd love it if you could share this podcast series with your network. We can't wait to share more episodes in the new year. And if you've got any feedback or suggestions, please let me know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the HR Think Tank with Kai no. We'd love it if you could subscribe and share our podcast with your network. As always, the resources and links mentioned will be included in the show notes and posted on the Verify Now website, verifynow.com.au.